G'day everyone, welcome to Did You Know with Watto. I'm Watto and in today's episode I chat with Louis Shelton about some things that maybe you didn't know. For more episodes you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. Hope you enjoy. G'day, it's Lindsay Waddington here. Today I'm very excited to speak to this gentleman here. There's not much more you can achieve in the world of music and it's a real honour to sit here and have a chat with him today, Mr. Louis Shelton. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for coming along, Louis. Yes. And uh, mate, I'd love to sort of just have a just a casual chat and what um sort of made this legend that sits right beside me. Oh well, <laughs> let's see if I can remember anything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's been quite a uh, qu- quite a road that I've been down, uh, starting from the backwoods of Arkansas, and. Uh, Ended up uh, out there, you know, dealing with all those stars in Hollywood, you know. I didn't know how to quite how to handle that, but uh, I was lucky to battle myself through it. Um, started out as a young guitar player. I got my first guitar at nine years old. And by the time I was 12, I was, I was playing professional and joined a country band for a couple of years. Uh, and then... Uh, Rock and roll came in. I got to meet Elvis Presley when he first came out. And then living in Little Rock, which is close to Memphis and Nashville, we used to get all of those new artists come through Little Rock. Uh, the Jerry Lee Lewis and the Roy Orbison and uh, Carl Perkins uh, and Elvis. So we jumped on the rock and roll uh, ba- uh, bandwagon at that point. And uh, as I would be introduced to, to different kinds of music, you know, like someone came and asked me, have you ever heard of uh, a guitar player by the name of Barney Kessel or Wes Montgomery or Johnny Smith? I said, oh, no, I've, I've only heard Chet Atkins. Well, so I'd go buy those records and learn, learn a little bit of jazz, and I would incorporate that into my playing. And of course, then over the next several years, I played in clubs uh, six nights a week for years, you know, and um, which builds up your your chops, you know, and you're playing all of the hits of the day. So I ended up in California and uh, was lucky enough to play on that first Monkees hit, The Last Train to Clarksville, and uh, that got my foot in the door for session work and from then on for the next, uh, well, 60s, 70s, and 80s, I, I was lucky enough to play with a lot of, of great artists and made some really good records during that time. Now, in that, that's incredible, Louis. But uh, where you come from in Arkansas, a very humbling upbringing, mate, like not like living in mansions, everything thrown at your footsteps. You, you come through and really had to work for this, didn't you? Yes. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, the the guitar, you know, uh, sort of took me out of the backwoods and, and through all of the, the great things that I've experienced uh, because of the love of guitar. Uh, as soon as I got it for my ninth birthday, um, I, I was, uh, I loved playing so much and I was just starved to learn everything I could. And in the beginning, it was mostly Chad Adkins stuff, and uh, but 
I was always, I always considered myself a student of the guitar. I just wanted to learn, learn, learn. Yeah. And um, at the same time, paying attention to what other guitar players did, how they managed what they played, like Steve Cropper, for example, who played on all of those great Sitting on the Dock of the Bay and, and all of the hits he played on, uh, where the guitar parts that he added uh, became part of the record. And if you heard the song without that guitar, it wouldn't be the same. Absolutely. And I get so much of that from the stuff that I played on, like the solo from Lionel Richie's Hello, the stuff with Boss Gags on Low Down and on and on and on, you know. Um, I, I took that, that, uh, that thought with me into the studio that I want to think like an arranger. I don't want to go in there and show everybody how much I can play. I want to listen to the song and, and, and figure out what, what does it need. Sometimes it didn't need anything except playing rhythm. But other times you just throw a little stuff in there and, uh, and usually the producer would like it and, and it would end up on the record. So, yeah, I always was conscious of, conscious of uh, playing the right thing at the right time and, and, and leaving the spaces where they need to, to, to be spaces, you know. Can, can you remember what the very first song was that was like you heard it, whether it was on the radio or something, you're like, oh, that's got me hooked? I'm sure it would have been Clarksville hmm. because uh, that was the first hit that I played on. Yeah. And it went to number one. Um, and then uh, after that, it was the Jackson 5. And uh, that all of a sudden went to number one straight away, that tune, I Want You Back. That was the first record we did with them, the first tune we did with them. Was that, and what you played on that, was that sort of inspired by you or they sort of give you the idea or not? They just come out, Louis, it come to you? Well, uh, in those situations, uh, like the Jackson 5 weren't there. They, I mean, he's 11 years old, so yeah. he's, he's not going to be in there telling me what to play. Yeah. Uh, it was the writers and producers, but it was basically uh, us five musicians in there working out our parts, you know. We had a, a rough chord chart, and the writer was there that could kind of sing the song, and we would work out the parts we were going to play. Uh, it was never uh, a situation where what I played is written out as notes on paper. Hmm. And it's a good thing because I wasn't a reader. I play strictly by ear. Oh, wonderful. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, me, guys like me and Glenn Campbell and James Burton, none of us were, we didn't read notes. We grew up in country music and, you know, playing, you know, just basic chords uh, some of the other players like Barney Kessel, Howard Roberts, and Tommy Tedesco, uh, they were session players that could read, you know, and, uh, but they, they came from a jazz background. Hmm. Uh, they, they didn't uh, play the rock and roll and all of the other stuff that we played. You know, it was, they were great at what they did, but... Uh, they didn't do the kind of stuff that they would would be required for a tune like Last Train to Clarksville, you know. Yeah. Uh, they were great musicians, but they 
they didn't grow up playing that kind of stuff where we did, you know, because we played the hits of the day in the clubs mm -hmm. six nights a week. So uh, we were familiar with that, you know, approach. I'd have to say growing up, like from myself, and that's what I talk about a lot because you can, you know, that's what you know. Uh -huh. Growing up in my life, something that was very influential and it was all over Rage, all over all the, the music platforms of the time was Hello, Lionel Richie's hit. Uh -huh. Now, that there you were saying that, that was um, there was a desk tape that was sent out to other guitar players? Yes, three, three other guitar players. They sent them a cassette and said, Lionel Richie hummed this guitar solo that they, he wants you to play on this record. And, and so they would learn that solo and come in and record it. And for some reason, uh, it didn't work, you know. And uh, so they kept going from guitar player to guitar player. And they finally got to me and sent me the cassette. And I learned the, the, the solo that he had hummed. And I went in and played it. And uh, Lionel wasn't there yet. So I said, I don't really like that solo. I said, just give me another track and I'll give you another option. And so the solo that's on the record was the next thing that I played. And that was uh, just off the top of my head, you know, just something other than what he's saying, you know, uh, because I didn't think it worked as a guitar solo. Yeah. And that, that's what came on the record. And was, my, it, was it true when you were doing it, he was walking down the hallway? Yeah, he was just coming in toward the end of the solo, and he said, I don't know what I heard walking down the hall, but it sounded like a hit record to me. Yeah. <laughs> that must so, have made you feel really good. It did, yes, because I was, uh, you know, I was in there thinking, oh, they just got me playing on a ballad. I wish they'd let me play something like, you know... Uh, but they, they had Steve Lukather in on, on some of the other uh, All Night Long and some of those other hits. Who's, he's a very capable player, too. You know? yeah. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it amazing, though, the one that would have been part of this life-defining thing? Because it, it is one of the greatest guitar solos of all time, that solo. So isn't it funny how you were wishing you were playing one of the other ones, but yeah. yet the one that they put you on and what you come up with? Yes, I left there thinking that, it, you know, that was just a ballad and nothing will ever happen with it. Yeah. And uh, so while I was doing that solo, the guy who played the uh, synthesizers on the record was setting up to, to do that part. And I ran on to him a few weeks later at the NAMM show, and he said, you know, that song you played, uh, that song you played on, I think it's going to be a hit. I just heard it on the radio, and that and that was a shock to me. I think, oh, that would never be a hit, you know? Yeah, it's just a ballad. It ended up being his best-selling single. Well, for, for me, being a guitar player, I, I would say that you probably made it a hit, like the guitar solo made it, don't you reckon? <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> a lot of people say it wouldn't be the same without that solo. Most you know? definitely. Yeah. Now, there's been so many stars, Louis. We'll try and get across uh, a few so everyone around the world watching um, can get a, a real appreciation. A lot will already know who you are because your work is just known so great. But for the people that don't, Whitney Houston, I think I've read credits where you've you worked on Whitney's stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, what a couple of songs there, mate. Saving All My Life and uh, The Greatest Love and 
I, I, I don't remember all of the hits, but I just remember, because uh, I was working with Michael Masser, the guy that produced and wrote those things. I, uh, I had worked with him on Diana Ross's uh, theme from Mahogany. That was the first time I met Michael. And we did a couple of uh, Diana Ross songs with Michael Masser. And he's the one that, uh, that did the Whitney Houston stuff. That's and, insane. Uh, yeah, uh, what a great artist she was, you know. Yeah. Such a beautiful lady, and, and I mean, no one can sing What like a that. set of pipes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. And was it like a, like, um, just to let people know the insight, like sitting there, was Whitney, were you ever subjected to, like, um, tracks where she was in the studio at the same time? And you were just like forgot what you were doing. <laughs> like I actually uh, no, I she wasn't there at all. We okay. we cut all that stuff, and then she, she came in later and put her voice on. What a trust! And that was often the case. The Jackson Five were never there. Um, you know the the people that were always there was like. Uh, Karen and, and Richard Carpenter for all of their yeah. stuff. And and she was always giving us a great vocal. Mm. So good that it could have gone on the record because she never sang a bad note in her life. Yeah. Um, she was always there. Um, none of the Motown artists were ever there. Well. Except Marvin Gaye uh, when we did the... Uh, uh, the the album with him, he was there because he was the producer. And uh, so it was great that, that I got to actually play for Marvin Gaye. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let's get it on, that, that album. <laughs> and, uh, but for, other than that, the Motown artists were never there. You'd, I'd have to ask the, the, the producer, who, who, who is this record for? <laughs> and he would say, oh, this is for Diana or, or this, you know whoever, he'd name some other Motown artist. And so you'd kind of think, oh, oh yeah, I can hear them singing that. And, but um, yeah, uh, Neil Diamond was always there. Uh, he would have been very hands-on. He gives me the impression that yeah. he very musical-like and knew exactly what he wanted. Uh -huh. Is that true? Uh, to, in some ways, but uh, in other ways, uh, he was kind of still writing the song and, and we would try a lot of different approaches to it. Uh, but it was, he was very involved. Even though he didn't come in and say, here's the way it goes, uh, he, he would come in and say, here's this idea I have, and I'd like to approach it a few different ways, you know? And so we, we would uh, go, go through that until we got something that he said, yeah, that's it, you know, yeah. let's, let's make it. Yeah, he was one of the very hands-on in that way. Well, last time you were around here and we were having a yak, I remember you saying um, one big moment you had was working with Barbara Streisand. We had a full orchestra. Yeah. Three different arrangers and all the strings and the horns and all of that. And she didn't want to record that way. She had all of those guys go out of the studio and she came over with me and the drummer and the piano player, and we ran through the songs. And, and she wanted to be part of that process instead of just saying, all right, 
here's the music, now you go out there and sing. She, she, she didn't want to record that way. So after we kind of worked it all out, then, then they said, okay, bring the guys back in and we'll record it. Uh, that was the way it worked with her, yeah. That, that must have been like another moment where you're like, I'm working with somebody great here. Yeah. It truly was because it had been several years uh, that, 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 you know, she had come out with her first record, People, mm. you know, which is one of the greatest records and, and greatest vocals uh, performances ever. Uh, and I was really a big fan of hers. Um, so to actually be sitting there with her working on a song um, uh, was, was, you know, of course that, that often happened uh, for, you know, because when we come from humble beginnings in yeah. the backwoods of Arkansas and now we're sitting here with Barbara Streisand, <laughs> you, you know, you can't, you can't sort of give the impression that that you're really you know overwhelmed by this, but you're actually there's something in there that's saying, "How did this happen?" I'm so blessed, you oh, know, yeah, to yeah. be here with in this situation. Your parents, like your family, Louis, they must have been like, I, I can't imagine how they must have been feeling, like seeing their boy do this on the world stage and have the biggest stars in the world, like there's a, there's a story saying that one of these huge stars were trying to chase you down. You're in Australia holidaying. Yeah. And yeah. when you got back to America, it was nearly like, oh, thank God you come home. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's still the way, even though, you know, I've lost my mom and dad many years ago and all that, but I still have families, you know, sisters and nieces and nephews, and they're, they're just so... Uh, appreciative of of what I've done, yeah. and, and we're in, we communicate all the time on you know Facebook, e even though we're spread all over the world. You know, uh, uh, we're we're in touch with each other, and they see stuff that I do, and yeah. they always comment on it, and they're yeah. very they're very proud that it means a lot to them. Uh, that especially um, them knowing the humble beginnings. Anything's possible? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I came from, uh, the backwoods of Arkansas, and, and uh, what I achieved as a professional you know, musician, uh, they're, they're very proud of that. The, st the show is called Did You Know With Watto? So I, I think we better tell a few people about some other things. You've got a love for something else, not just music, do you? Well, um, yes. I When we were in Las Vegas and... Um, in the 60s, uh, you know, they have the greatest golf courses in the world there. And I was working with Seals and Crofts before they were Seals and Crofts. We were playing in the, in the casinos. And they got me into golf. And uh, so I, I, I guess I became addicted to it. <laughs> and uh, so that's something that uh, I've I've enjoyed all these years, and when I'm not doing music, I'm playing golf, you know. And that's, you know, we were playing golf when it wasn't a popular thing to do for a musician, yeah. because they dressed so so weird and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, you'd be surprised at, at uh, 
the musicians who golf is, is a big part of their life. Vince Gill, he almost, he was going to be a professional golfer. That's was how he really? Good he, yeah, he wanted to be a golfer. Um, uh, even going back to like Johnny Mathis and, and those guys, you know, but I'm trying to think of, of uh, who, who's the, 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 the rock and roll guy that has the snakes and all of that kind of stuff. Alice Cooper? Alice Cooper. Yeah. He, he's an incredible golfer. Is he really? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Eagles, they played on all the golf, uh, golf tournaments and all that. One of the funniest things, uh, and, and this, <laughs> uh, of my golf experiences, uh, I was in L.A., after uh, the O.J. Simpson thing. And me and, and, and a couple of my buddies, we go out to play golf. And we get there, and the group in front of us is O.J. Simpson because he couldn't play anymore at, his, at the big club where he was adjoined because he, 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 this was after the trial oh, and he yeah, won yeah, yeah. And, and nobody would let him play on their courses. So he's on this public course. And... Uh, we go to tee off and they say, well, that's O.J. Simpson in that group in front of you up there. And uh, so we had to follow O.J. Simpson around. And as an athlete, he had the worst golf swing I've ever seen. I thought, <laughs> with his money and being an athlete, go get a golf lesson. Look, that looks un it's horrible. You, know? you haven't played with me, mate. I can get it on the green, but I can't putt the bloody thing. And, you, and we're, we're laughing uh, before having a coffee saying, that putting, that can be very frustrating, oh, can't yeah. it? Yes, yes. Well, we just had the Ryder Cup yesterday, and... Uh, you could see how important it was there to make putts or to, or to miss a putt. You know, it was everything. Yeah. You know. Uh, Have you ever thrown a club? Uh, no, not not really. I, you know, I I handle I handle it pretty well. You know, uh, I don't do a lot of cursing and all that because I usually ride with my wife and she does enough for both <laughs> of us. So. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to follow you around on the golf course now. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, no, it's a... And I don't know whether it's true, but I've also heard you don't mind fishing. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, of course, from Arkansas, you know, that's how we grew up, you know. Uh, we used to fish because that's what we needed for food, you know. Yeah, it wasn't I, like we would go to the store and buy some fish. We... We actually had to go out and fish for fish, but no, I've 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 enjoyed that and um, many 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 years of getting out there and getting baked in the sun and and you can tell by my sun specs now that <laughs> I've damaged myself from between golf and fishing. Uh, the sun's really done a lot of damage, so I have to go to the sun doctor every once in a while get something cut off. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was one of the things that attracted me to Australia. Uh, as I was working with some musicians, uh, producing a band in L.A., and two of the members were from Sydney, and they kept telling me how great the fishing and golf was in Sydney. And, that, you know, they kind of, it was tempting. Go so on. I had to go check it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got down to Sydney and actually moved there and lived right on the harbor, right on Middle Harbor, uh, right over the Spit Bridge and the marina, and I had a 34-foot sport fishing boat. 
and we'd out Sydney Heads and out to the reefs and catching some holy moly some great fish yeah oh great fish yeah and you had two bites of this moving to Australia true Louie like you come out and did that and then you actually went back to America yeah well our first time down we didn't plan to stay that long we, we figured we would go stay five years as our kids finished high school and we ended up staying 12 years in Sydney and uh, because of family issues and stuff we, we moved back and at that time we moved to Nashville and I set my studio up in Nashville and we we stayed there for 10 years and uh, then my son and daughter moved back to the Gold Coast and uh, we decided to move back uh, to be with them. And you reckon you'll be in Australia now for the rest of the time? You don't know? Uh, yes. Don't uh, want to yeah, head back? That's pretty, pretty definite. Pretty yeah. definite? Yeah. 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 Music's been a wonderful thing. There was another thing I picked up in our conversation before, and, and I love paying tribute to people that help people. Now, you were saying, like, as we've touched on, you know, you come from humble beginnings and that, but there was a couple that actually saw something in you at a show. Louis, you were backing people and that on, on, a, on a show and that? Yeah, we had a, a, a Saturday night jamboree that was very similar to the Grand Ole Opry and, uh, in the big auditorium in Little Rock. And uh, there was a... Uh, it, it was structured just like the Grand Ole Opry, except most of the artists were local artists. They could only afford one uh, named artist every Saturday night. But we had people like Johnny Cash. Well, we had Merle Travis, Hank Thompson, Hank Snow, uh, the Leuven Brothers, a lot mm. of really well-known. Yep. Most people wouldn't know today those guys, but they were big in the day. So every Saturday we would have one of those major artists. Uh, and there was a, a band on there called Shelby Cooper and the Dixie Mountaineers, which was Shelby who played a Martin guitar and his wife, Sarah Jane, played fiddle and her brother played the, the upright bass. And um, they asked me to come join their band because they had a radio show five days a week. And that plus this Saturday night thing and then when TV came out, they had a Wednesday night TV show. So I joined that band at 12 years old. And that really shaped my future because it was, I was with them for two years and it was all just music, music, music. And uh, at the end of those two years, I was, you know, I was you on what my you want way. to do. Yeah. yeah. And that, that show you're talking about there, that was the first time you saw Elvis Presley. No, I, actually, uh, we, we were in a little town in Pine Bluff, Arkansas with that yeah. band. And Elvis came to my junior high school and mm. played for about 200 people. He, he has, was just starting. He just had his first record out. And uh, so that was the first time any of us had seen his his brand uh, performance yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we had only seen country stars that's that's just stood up there and, and sang and played we'd never seen anyone jumping all over the stage like that uh but i got to see elvis uh, the next time he played was at the big auditorium in little rock where we played on saturday night and i got to see him several times there uh, and I was, because I, they knew me at the auditorium, I'd get backstage so I could hang out 
uh, with Elvis. And he was such a nice, friendly guy and uh, was uh, going around backstage just singing silly songs and stuff. Just the, the, the nicest guy, you know. If I brought along a friend and introduced him, he'd say, oh, yeah, you know, just... Yeah. never was like not too hard for him to no yeah. no he was very very approachable yeah yeah did, did you find that like you know because i once again speak from my experience you watch all these mega stars you're talking about and yourself you know uh -huh. th this is sort of a pinch yourself moment for me talking to you and and we're going to be looking at music later on it's 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 an amazing thing but did you know, are those people all approachable? Most of them on a, on a whole, they're all approachable, Louis? Like the stardom doesn't get them? Um, I, I found most of them were very nice that I yeah, worked with. Yeah. Uh, they were probably a bit put off if they if they were at a restaurant and people come up and bother Invading them. Invading you know, yeah. Uh, which was often the case, you know, mm. for most of those people. It'd be hard for them to go out... Uh, I mean, even even myself, when when uh, when I was doing cruises, uh, if 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 uh, I I'd be on a cruise ship for a week, uh, and it might be going from say Fiji to Tahiti. Hmm. Well, for the first three days I'm on there, nobody knows me, mm -hmm. you know, because they've never heard of Louis Shelton or anything, and. So I could go around and I could I was comfortable dining out in all the places and all that. But after my show, because I did a lot of the songs that that I had played on, and 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 these people all of a sudden uh, are fans, you know, I, I couldn't even go out and eat <laughs> in, in in the public places anymore. I'd have to have room service because no matter how much I would try to, to go out and have a meal. You know, there's people, can I have a photo with, <laughs> did you really play with, you know, and all that. And, I mean, bless their heart, they're, you know, uh, I can't blame, you know, I can't fault them or anything, but it just makes me yeah. uncomfortable. You can't enjoy a meal with people doing that. So you can imagine if if you are a big star where everybody yeah. knows you yeah. and you're trying to go out and have a meal. Um and you know, here's a story um, uh, about Elvis. I lived in LA for, for 30 years, and throughout that, you'd almost see every movie star in some restaurant, or you know, and every recording artist, as much as you would go out, you would see almost everybody, but you would never see Elvis because he could not go out in public and have a public meal or go to a movie or anything because he would just be absolutely mobbed, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that was something that really worked against him as far as his mental health and all this I other agree. stuff, you know. I always said, well, Elvis, just go out and play a game of golf. Get out in the real world and all that and forget about the the drugs and, the, you know. Mm this pill to go to sleep and that pill to wake up and all that. Just get out in the, the stream of life. Let nature you know? do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't do it because he would be mobbed no matter, you know. He, he sort of, he looks like the sort of bloke too where 
it wasn't actually about all the paparazzi and oh that's Elvis it was he was there for the music he looked like music was just coming out of him he, yeah. he was just yeah. just a music yes music man but he was very isolated you know like um, he you, like I say, you never see him out in a restaurant or a movie theater or anything. Sad Couldn't in a do way, anything. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're your own prisoner, you know. Yeah. Let's. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left. Let's get to the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about a lot of things that probably happened in that, Louis. But the Wrecking Crew, that you got to sit in the pit with some mighty players, didn't you? Yes. Um, yes. That was that was quite a thrill. Uh, in the early days, when you first go into a session and you're with these people that you've idolized, you know, uh, and and wanted to be in that situation for so long, and but it's such a hard thing to get into because producers don't want to try new people. They just They've want to got, know what works. They've got the guys in there that they know, the clock's ticking, uh, the tape's rolling, they're going to play what they're supposed to play. They're not going to make mistakes. They're going to be on time. They're going to be in tune. I don't want to mess with some guy that comes in here that say, hey, I made a mistake, you know. Yeah. So they don't like trying new people. And also, this clique of musicians, they're friends of each other themselves, you know. So Hal Blaine, for example, and, and, and Tommy Tedesco were very close friends. There's no way Tommy would. There's no way Hal would want some new guitar player to come in and replace Tommy because that's his friend. And that's their hang. That's like, this whole yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily they needed two guitars on most of the sessions. Yeah. So I I could come in and play with Tommy and yeah. Hal, and yeah. uh, so always there was Tommy, and then there would be a Glenn Campbell or a James Burton or another you know lead player. Hmm. And, uh, well, as the timing would have it, uh, Glenn got a hit record, which took him out, you know. Opened the seat up. Opened that seat up. Uh, (laughs) James Burton started touring with uh, John Denver and then later with Elvis. So that seat was vacant. At the same time, I've played on this hit and everybody says, who played guitar on the last train to Clarksville? Let's get him in here. And so I'm sitting there, and, and now every time I'd go into the session, the producer would come out and say, all right, guys, uh, I want Louie to play all the leads, you know? So the other guys would just play the rhythm. Yeah. And so I, I was pretty solidly uh, entranced there from the very beginning. Uh, it wasn't like I had to keep proving myself it's like do you know who can you remember who the first artist and first song at you did as the wrecking crew like your first song well it would probably be the carpenters yeah yeah (laughs) that is just ridiculous that's incredible um because joe osborne who was a wrecking crew bass player yeah uh was friends with richard and karen Carpenter, and before they even had a record deal, uh, Joe invited me to go over to their house in a little home studio and do some demos that probably got them their record deal with A&M. And so 
uh, I got to do all their records with Joe and Hal and Karen and, and Richard Carpenter. That's usually the only ones that were on that session was just us three and, and the Carpenters. Uh, yeah. We can just talk about this forever, Louis, but it's really an amazing thing, mate. And we're so proud here at Lindsay Waddington Music and at the studio here to even be involved with you, mate. You're, you're such a, a beautiful man. You're, you're just a great bloke. It's in our few conversations, it feels like I've known you forever. Yes. It's just ridiculous how you can just sort of find your own mob. And, you know, it's, um, we're really proud to have you around here. And, uh, and also, too, uh, check out Louie on all his YouTube platforms and, and um, social media platforms. He's got some wonderful things out there and there's more. We may even have a chat further on down the track. Uh -huh. But before we go near you live in Australia, because uh -huh. it is lunchtime here soon, what do you reckon we might have? A meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Meat pie and then into the guitars. Well, yeah. Before we go, is there any other instruments or it's only guitar? Uh well, I I play bass. I play a little bit of drums. Yeah, yeah. I I love playing drums, which most guitar players do. Yeah, yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, uh, and we, we're terrible, but we love to bang <laughs> on them. Yeah. Uh, keyboards are a mystery to me. Yeah. No, nah, that's yeah. the wrong way. Couldn't figure that one out. Well, it's been a pleasure, mate, and uh, we're really proud to have you around here. Like I said. Mr. Louis Shelton, thank you. It's my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, yes. mate. Thanks, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. For more episodes, you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. See you all down the track somewhere.